Would you like to see the behind the scenes footage of the Pivot Me interviews? We have launched April Garcia Pivot Me on YouTube. Take 10 seconds now and go to YouTube and enter April Garcia Pivot Me or enter it directly at youtube.com backslash April Garcia Pivot Me. You can see all the guest interview with Jay Abraham, Sharon Lecter, Cameron Harold, John Lee Dumas. We are releasing new videos every Tuesday. Go ahead and stream with us. Hop on and join us. And please support us by giving that thumbs up and subscribing. It really does matter. And you are going to love these videos. Thanks for joining Pivot Me on YouTube. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real, simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Ever wonder exactly what happens after we die? What you see? What you feel? If you meet someone? Well, our guest today has gone somewhere most of us have never been, but someday will. Pivoters, I've got to say, this interview shook me. I knew it would be different, that, that we we're doing something that we hadn't done before, but I guess I didn't appreciate how different, like what that would actually feel like, even for me as the interviewer. After I was done with the interview, I had to push out my meetings and actually go for a walk to process it all. So get ready. Something might begin to shift for you too. Our guest today is Danny Bader, best-selling author and sought-after speaker whose life was transformed after he and his friend died when thousands of volts of electricity ripped through them. Then he came back to life. He uses his experience to lead people to create more perspective, joy, and love. He works to replace weariness with inspiration and creates momentum for people in all areas of their lives. I first met Danny in Nashville not that long ago, and I liked him immediately. He was kind of had this like welcoming feel. He always had this big smile on his face. He was eager to connect. He was a great listener, but man, this guy was sitting on the mother of all stories. And I didn't realize it the first few times we talked, but his story, it, it's life-changing. I knew I had to bring him here. I knew I had to bring him to pivot me, that we had to have this conversation, that you needed to hear it for yourself. I'm going to ask him about that day, what he and his buddy were doing that led up to that. And yes, I'm going to ask him what we all really want to know, what happened during the eight minutes that he was dead. So sit back and get ready for the ride of your life. Welcome to Pivot Me, Danny. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, April. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Danny. So I, we were just talking before we went on air that I don't think we've had a guest before where when we put it out to our audience and say, what kind of questions would you like to ask this guest? Never in the history of Pivot Me have we got so many responses, questions. It speaks volume to how desperate people are for the information that you have, Danny. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll do my best to meet your expectations. No pressure. <laughs> 
I'm not sure if they have any predetermined answers they want to hear. I'll just let them know, you know, the answers that I have for those questions. Absolutely. So obviously, Danny, we've read your bio, but it'd be great if you could tell us about your backstory. So it sounds like kind of your life was marked from before and after this event. So if you would, can you kind of walk us through the steps leading up to that event? And then we'll kind of discuss how that's changed you and how it's changed your perspective. But can you walk us through that? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So just, you know, the kind of elevator quick speeches. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I'm sure you can probably hear that in my accent. Mom and dad are still alive, 92 and 84. And I have one sister and six brothers. She's the oldest. So kind of the, the Irish Catholic version of Snow White. And uh, life was pretty easy for me. I played sports. I got good grades in school. You know, middle America, we had everything that we wanted. We shared, you know, I think about everything that we wanted, but I think like three or four of us shared one car. So, but we did, you know, in, in that time we had everything. And I graduated from college and had a really good job and I didn't like that. And then I bounced around and did some bartending and lived in Aspen, Colorado for a little while. And I was also doing some construction and roofing. And then one day when I was 28, a friend and I who owned the company, he and I were lowering a metal ladder, April, and we mistakenly, only by about an inch, that's the margin of error, we hit an electric line, you know, that ran along the street here in the east, you know, the east coast, a lot of the lines are, are above. And it had about eight to 10,000 volts of electricity in it. It went into the ladder, down into both of our bodies, and it killed both of us. And I was dead, according to an eyewitness, probably for about eight or 10 minutes. So he made the call and got the paramedics and the police there and all. My friend, he did not come back that day. So that was, you know, a big tragedy. Beautiful friend, beautiful man, husband, father of three. You know, his daughter was only a couple months old when he passed. Yeah, so that was kind of the story of Danny Bader. Life's really easy, easy. And then the universe, life, whatever comes along, it smacks you upside the head and says, not so fast. Wow. And so do you feel like your life has been marked from before that event and after that event? Yeah, it certainly has. You know, people say, was it like a radical shift for you? And in some regards, yes. And in others, no. You know, I always had a, a belief that when our body stops, there's a part of us that does not. I certainly got that. I'll call it a gift to know that and then to come back. The gift of was not losing my friend. You know, people would say, do you wish that never happened to you, that accident? And early on, I would say, yeah. Because I was, and we talked about it a little bit, I was screwed up. You're in that place of despair and you, know, you want to end it all and you can't go on and all those things. Now, though, and even years ago, I would say, no, you know what? I'm glad that it happened. I just wish my friend didn't die. He and I both come back. It's a big win because it, you know, it's a hell of an experience, really. Sure. And I want to specifically talk about the experience in a second. But when you say you're in a place of despair afterwards, what was the cause of that? Was it the loss of the friend? Was it the experience of what you went through? What caused that? Yeah, that's a great question. For the most part, it was it was a combination of those, with the majority of it being the guilt that it should have been me. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. And I was kind of trying to find myself then, you know, as tendon bar and construction. It was certainly nothing against bartenders and construction workers. It's just I was doing those jobs just because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I was non-committal in a relationship that I had. I just couldn't figure that out. Most of the pain though, most of the struggle came from the guilt. And then that little voice in your head, which we all have, that just went down that slippery slope and said, you know, you screwed up, it's your fault. His kids don't have a dad. You don't deserve to be happy and get on with life and you know all that negative talk. So that's what kind of took me to that place, that dark place. And then the other side was, you know, for some time, just trying to figure out like, where the hell, what was that? And why was it so much more beautiful and peaceful and loving and everything else than, than what I have here in this world? I remember my mom said to me when, you know, when I came back and I was living with them and 
you know, the physical injuries, I had holes in my feet. So that's where the electricity came out. They had to kind of work on them. So that, you know, it was a few months until those kind of healed up. But the, the emotional pain, you know, and I remember my mom said to me, she said, it's just like you're living to die again. Here you got your mother who absolutely loves her children and loves me. And all she wants to do is get me through this. And then I'm looking at her and I say, mom, yes, it's nice here. And I love all of you. And over there was unbelievable. So it was almost like I came back and I'm comparing you know, where I was and, and where I had further to go because I knew I had a sense, my energy, my soul, my spirit, it was going to continue on. And then, so you come back and you're telling the people that you love, like, man, I'm not sure I want to be here. I mean, it's crazy. So was it a combination of both feeling the despair of, I believe that's survivor's guilt, right? Like the guilt of you being here and he's not there's people that are depending on him. There's not people necessarily depending on you at this point. Yeah, it was absolutely that. Was it the despair or was it that the other side was so beautiful or combination of both? It was more the despair of being here and dealing with my human emotions, knowing that the other side was a hell of a lot more peaceful and loving and everything else. And there wasn't this pain that I was going through. You know, that was part of it. That's what probably laid the foundations for, all right, just, you know, end it, Danny. You know, you screwed up and life won. And you lost, so check out. And that, that's what I was pretty close to. It's interesting because you're kind of like pitting you against life. Yeah. Instead of you working in tandem, it suddenly became sort of the enemy that had bested you. Yeah. And I think it is a lot of times, you know, our jobs and our relationships and COVID and, and you know, what's going on in the world now with the, those just brilliantly courageous people in Ukraine right now, when you see them and their mindset and their courage, it just kind of blows you away and you still feel for them. They've got to deal with this evil and this tension. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Danny, when you walked into that experience, and then let's get into actually what that was like, but when you walked into that experience, were you a person of faith? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's what people say, you know, did you believe in God and heaven? I'm like, yeah, I always did. And now they said, what's the difference? I said, now I know. So faith is defined as belief without proof. You know, I was raised Catholic and I still practice that the structure of, of the Catholic faith, it works for me. You know, certainly not perfect because there's humans involved. Although the structure, the message, you know, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. You know, I wrote one of my books is I met Jesus for a Miller Lite. So it's bringing Jesus into the real world. So yeah, I, I did have a faith and it certainly even got stronger now. It's definitely shifted, you know, as I was raised in Catholic school and all, and you, you know, you learn your faith and got to answer the questions the right way. You know, why are you here and everything else? And get your sacraments, which are all valuable. Now, my relationship with God is different than it was as I've gotten older and I've experienced some things. Yeah. So it's not that the event itself changed, because that was one of the questions I have is what, before I jump into, there's so many questions, Danny, you can tell there's so many questions. So yeah, no, I believed in God. I thought about being a priest. I visited the seminary once or twice and I thought I'd just coach basketball. And yeah, I always had a strong connection to spirit source God. Sure. So can you walk us through the experience with this eight to 10 minutes? Can you walk us through what that was like? Yeah. So we're wrapping up for the day and there's two brothers that own this roofing company and one's up on the roof kind of finishing up for the day. And me and the other brother, Bruce, we're down on the ground kind of getting ready to clean up and we've got to lower this ladder and we get in our places to do it. And, uh, you know, I said, are we going to be okay with the wires? And he said, yeah, we'll, we'll be all right. You know, you just clean up at the end of the day. I had kind of a feeling though, that mm, I don't know about this. And, and I didn't pay attention to it, you know, call it intuition, maybe definitely call it intuition. And we started to lower the ladder and we hit it. And the next thing I know in that nanosecond, April, I thought I got shot or that there was a nuclear explosion because I just had this 
tremendous surge in all of my body. And then I see the other brother on the roof coming down. He turns, gets on the ladder and starts coming down. So you're still seeing him at this point after the initial shock? Very much seeing him. And I said to him, hey, Stewie, get Bruce. Stewie, get Bruce. And I wasn't yelling, help me or save me or anything. So you think if you're conscious, right, and you're in an accident, you know, the first thing you're doing is yelling for help, really. And I wasn't. I was saying, you know, get, get Bruce, get Bruce, get Bruce. Because I knew I had this knowledge of I was dying or I was dead. And I said it was peaceful. I assume that you were out the second you got hit by the shock. I'm blown away that you were communicating. Well, yes. And this is part of of what I struggled with as well. So I'm yelling, so I think, to to get Bruce. And then my soul, what I believe, people may call it your your energy, your source, your light, your consciousness, whatever. That's okay, however they label it. I, I label it as my spirit, you know, my divine energy. It just left. It was pulled away from the scene. I didn't hover anymore. You know, I didn't see my body. I certainly saw Stu coming down, red dump truck backed up against the house because we were throwing the supplies off the roof. And then I was just gone. And my awareness, right, Danny, was that it was dark and loving. And I was in that floating, peaceful existence. And I was communicating with source, God, and there were no words. And there was a quick review of my life. You know, I wasn't sitting there, you know, eating popcorn and watching a movie of my life. But there was that sense of, all right, that's over now. And there's more to come. There's more to go on. And I had the choice to stay or come back. Many people that I've talked to with the near death uh, have had that. And I had the choice to stay or go back. And I said, now I didn't use words, April, but I communicated, what about my mom? And what about Lisa, who's my wife of almost 30 years, my girlfriend on and off then? And as soon as I did, I was, my, that energy, I was back in my body. I mean, the best way to describe it is if you've got like a little toy, a kid's toy that you plug in, like, you know, the monkey with the symbols or whatever, it was just like somebody plugged Danny Bader back in again. And now I'm laying there and I'm, I'm laying in spread eagle, right? It's July outside of Philly, so it's hot. And I'm laying there and I feel like I'm in fetal position. And I hear, you know, the ladder had hit the top wire and then it rested on a, a telephone wire. And I hear, you know, Stu, maybe 20 feet away, trying to revive his brother. And I couldn't move because that surge of electricity, right, we're 80% water, not a good combination. And then I got my motor skills back and I crawled over and I crawl up behind Stu and he's on hands and knees doing CPR on his brother. And I crawl up next to him. He looks at me and he says, how are you here? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but, uh, you know, I'll do mouth to mouth. And he was doing chest and we worked on Bruce for several minutes, I guess. And then the paramedics and the police arrived. So when they got there, I looked okay. I mean, they just saw this guy. They didn't see the blisters on my hands and the holes in my feet, my socks and my boots. So they're like, get away, you guys. We got this. We got this. And they started to work on our friend Bruce. And I was sitting against the fence because we're working on a house and my feet are killing me. And I looked down, I got little tiny holes in the side of my boots, work boots, you know, thick leather work boots. And I take them off and my white sweat socks have holes with black around them. And I take them off and I have a hole in each side of each foot. The one on the inside of my left was the biggest. And it kind of looked like that if anybody's watching. The first line of the book I wrote back to life, which is fictionalized a bit, but very much based on this. Danny in the book, his name is Jake. And the first line of the book is, why is there no blood? And that's what I remember saying to myself, because I'm looking into this hole in my foot that I could have stuck the tip of a pencil in probably, you know, a quarter, half inch. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Stewie comes over them and he says, you know, what the what happened? You can imagine the language. I said, I guess we hit the wire. And he said, yeah, I know. I heard it. And I said, I know. I saw you coming down the ladder. I was yelling you to, to get Bruce. And he said, what are you talking about? 
And I said, I was yelling to you, you know, get Bruce, get Bruce. And he said, no, he said, you didn't say anything. He said, I came down the ladder and I came to you first and rolled you over. So when I went down, I was in fetal position. And then Stewie rolled me over to do CPR. And he worked on me for a few minutes. He said, my eyes are rolled back, foam on the mouth, no heart rate, no respiration. And after some time, he he said, you know, I just gave you up for dead. You know, he he said, I, I kept thinking we killed Dan. And he ran across the street, you know, this is 1992, and he made a call, 911, you know, so that's what's a minute or two for the call, I guess. And then ran back past me, it's still dead, and then got to his brother. So Stu would always say, and God bless him, he passed a few years ago, he would always say, you were dead, it had to be eight minutes. He said, well, I do the math. I came down, I worked on you, I ran across the street, I made the call, I ran back. And he said, there's no question that you were dead. Wow, that's powerful. So- I'm just processing all that. So when you're saying when you did this review of your life, but no words were spoken, is it like a visual review? What is that? Is it a catalog? Is it hard to explain? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a visual. Yeah, it's very hard to explain. It was just almost like this chapter is ending. You know, you're transitioning now. And I said, it was very peaceful. I wasn't kicking and screaming to go back or anything of that nature. But the pain of the, you know, the electrocution, that was, as I said, that was a nanosecond. I have no idea how fast the electricity traveled from my hands to my feet. I'm sure there's scientists that could tell us that. So that pain was just, that was there and then I was gone. Yeah, but the process of, you know, whatever happened to me, right? My energy, the way I see it is we all have a divine energy in us. And my heart and my lungs and my brain contribute to making my body go, you know, and yours, April. I believe strongly that there's an energy in all of us that really makes us go. And that's when people say, well, it wasn't your time or it was his time. That's just that energy going back to its source, you know, which for me is love. That's it. If you were out for eight minutes and you had this piece, did it feel like eight minutes was enough? I had no sense of time. There was no sense of worldly time at all, you know, and that's what was so wild. When I came back, I had no idea. You know, all I did, I was back now in the physical world. And I could hear what was going on around me. I'm laying there. My eyes are open. I'm staring up the ladder that's now resting on a a telephone line about 10, 12 feet above me. You know, so now I'm just back. You don't even know what you're thinking, trying to process, you know, what the hell is going on? Why can't I move? Why do I feel like I'm laying on my side and everything tells me that I'm laying on my back? What's going on over here that I'm hearing? And then when I got back, you know, when I got my motor skills and crawled up, you know, you're just in the moment trying to do whatever the hell you can. You know, I think it's the first time I ever really did CPR on a live person. You just try to do what you think is right or what you were trained in, you know, when you were lifeguard at 14 or whatever. Afterwards, did you connect with other people that had survived near-death experiences? Like, is there like a support group that you go to? Have you talked to these people? Yeah, I have. I didn't directly connect with them. Like, say, let me go find people that went through this same incident that I went through. You know, I was in the hospital. It took me to one hospital and my heart and they were worried about my kidneys as well. My heart was still kind of irregular. So they put me on a chopper and took me to another hospital and they had to debreed my feet, you know, cut out all the dead skin and that. So, you know, I was in for about 10 days and then I get out. My friend, you know, I knew he passed that day. You know, at the first hospital, I had the opportunity to go in and say goodbye to him. And I said, I I can't. And, you know, that's one of the things I would have done differently now where I could have at least gone in and said goodbye to him. So my goodbye happened at his grave site. I don't know how many days after the accident. Because I was in for 10 and my mom said, you want to go visit? I just couldn't. And then when I did, you know, you just dropped to your knees, just sobbing. So a lot of struggle around that. But I didn't seek. I went to psychiatrists and I went to priests, kind of went through them like underwear because none were working. And then I went to the bottle for too long and a few pills. 
and some weed and anything, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, anything to make you feel better. And then you wake up and you're like, man, I don't feel any better. Was it to process the guilt or was it to escape current reality, all of the above? Yeah, it was more to escape it. It was more just escape it. Yeah, the processing just kind of took time. Do you feel like the experience, I assume, would be radically different if you hadn't lost Bruce in that moment? Oh, I think so, yeah. You know, that afternoon, I had lived in Aspen, Colorado for a few years back and forth. And I thought about going out there as late as 80 or 92 to get my real estate license. And I was really considering that. I was ready to tell my girlfriend then, Lisa, and just say, hey, you know, I'm going to head back there. And I didn't know where that was going to go. And then I got married, what, nine or 10 months after the accident. But it took time. I always say, and I, I say this you know, respectfully to the whole tragedy for sure. But I died in 92. I got married in 93. We had our first kid in 94. You know, that was Luke. And then we had Joey in 96. And somewhere right around there, I felt like I came out of my days. But I I think I was in that days all through my marriage and all through the first. It just stays with you. You know, there's a residue from these traumas. And it still is. You know, you asked, did that define my life? Was it like life before the accident, life after the accident? Yeah, absolutely. I held on to it for too long, kind of like an anchor in that victim mode, for sure. Certainly part of who I am now. And it's okay. I I think sharing the story is good for people. Oh, yeah. That's part of my purpose. And I just have to make sure that that accident doesn't define Danny Bader, whereas before, you know, you did. It's like a Super Bowl quarterback that says, you know, this is me. I'm a Super Bowl quarterback. And they're going, yeah, but that was 20 years ago. What now? I know I kind of hung on to that a little bit just to say, yeah, this happened to me and it's part of me. And it certainly influenced what I do and how I write and how I show up to support people on this journey. You know, that's just not Danny Bader. It took me a long time to kind of not be the accident, if that makes sense. Makes complete sense. Danny, do you feel like when you say you held on for for too long, did you feel like you needed to hold on to it that tightly to kind of honor what happened? I don't know. That's a great question. You know, I do know when I wrote the first book, it was published in 2012. So 20 years after the accident published uh, the first title was back from heaven's front porch. Cause I had a small publisher and then I got the rights back and added a last chapter and changed the title. I resisted writing that book for a long time because I thought, man, I can't write a book. That's a story about where my friend died. You know, I love his wife. I love his three kids. They're great and get together, you know, usually once a year, stay in touch. We stayed a lot more in touch after the accident. I remember though, when I wrote the book, I took the manuscript up and I was with the three kids and his one daughter was great. We were having pizza and just a couple beers. And she said, do you have any guilt? And it's the first time, you know, they were older now. They were, you know, 18, 20, 21. And I said, yeah, I said, I do. And she says, you got to let it go. And that was a big moment for me. His daughter told you that. Yeah. And his daughter was probably three when this happened. You know, his son, Kevin, four She was probably three or two. And then the new baby was just a few months old, you know, and she would show up on the job site from time to time. And I'd always play around with her. She was just a little kid. We'd be fooling around. You know, she's a little toddler. Uh, Yeah. So there's a place in my heart for them and for my buddy Stu, for everybody that was involved. You know, you can't not when you experience something like that. For sure. Do you feel like in that moment that what I heard is that she gave you permission to let it go? Do you feel like that was the ultimate person, like the person who could have been most profoundly affected by that accident? has then turned around and given you permission to let it go? Like, was there a huge significance to that? Yeah, I think that's a great insight. You know, I never really thought about it. It's a great insight. Here's one of the children, right, that are growing up and living without their dad, giving me permission to go, let it go. It was just a tragic accident. It wasn't your fault. And everybody said that all along. I was the only one that blamed me. And you know, though, anybody listening, self-blame is a bitch, man. (laughs) It is the worst. So if you're in that world right now, do whatever you need to do to get out of it. 
right? You know, even if you did make a really, really bad choice, that's okay. I mean, yeah, that's just being human. That bad choice was just a choice. It doesn't have to be a lifestyle going forward for you. So you had this amazing conversation that sounds like was a catalyst for it. But if someone is listening right now and they are working through that, maybe they made a mistake and they're having a really hard time moving past it or forgiving themselves. What would you say to a pivoter who's listening right now? Well, for me, it comes back to faith. And I think you connect with spirit in silence. So I would encourage them really to sit in silence, whether it's meditation, journaling, prayer, walks in nature. You know, you and I talk about we both enjoy nature and skiing and hiking. Just get out there because the answer and the support, the human spirit, which is hardly human, is available to us. And I I believe it resides in stillness. And it's a strong source of support for us, especially when we're dealing with what we're talking about, you know, this sense of of self-guilt or self-blame. And then just understand that we're human. You know, we make mistakes and it's okay. And as I said, they don't have to define you. The consequences may be really shitty right now and you've got to deal with them. Yes. See yourself dealing with them. Let the voice in your head talk you through these things that, yes, we will deal with this. We will get to the other side. There will be healing. There may be some loss of relationships because of this, and and that's okay. Just stay in your integrity, lead with love, and just know that you have the ability to move through it. You know, not everybody does. Tragically, I wish we could wave the magic wand where everybody gets through their difficult times. I just want folks to know you can. You absolutely can. You know, I wrote that fourth book here, Taking the Shit Out of the Show, Seven Short Stories to Navigate Life's Challenges, and it's just that. You know, the message in the book is really you're introduced to a different character that's struggling through one of these shit shows, right, of uncertainty and fear and pain and regret and all those things. And just how can we reframe that, right, and deal still that it's brutal. It doesn't, we're not sugarcoating unicorns and rainbows. It's brutal. And I can get through it. And what do I need to get through it? How do I need to think? Who do I need to get through this? What past experiences do I need to draw on? What, what does it look like when I'm through it? Let me tap into that for some good energy that's going to keep me grinding away, you know, taking the actions that I got to take. And I'm glad you're talking about getting through, like getting on the other side of that and put your mind there. Because I think when we're in those moments, we think it's going to be like that in perpetuity. And so we're like, this is such an awful moment now. And we think it will always be like that. The sun eventually rises, like you do the work and it does get better. Not to say that it goes away. It doesn't get entirely removed, but it does improve. So if you're in that moment where you're like, I'm in immense amount of pain or regret or whatever that might be, there is another side to this. And I mean, I think Danny, your story is amazing and a great example of that. Like you got to the other side, not to say that there's not some shrapnel from what happened, but you got to the other side of it. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got, I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of wonderful people that hung in there with me. Sure. And supported me through it. Everything demands your attention right now. You want to be on your A game, but you need two of you just to manage your day. But what if I could multiply you? What if I told you there are secrets that top performers are using right now to still get ahead? There are, and I'll give them to you. In my new Four Steps videos, I'll show you how to master distraction, practice prioritization, get the right things done without working more hours. And for now, I'm doing it for free. Your time is priceless right now, and you need to take back control of your day and your to-do list. 
go to pivot-me.com backslash four steps and you can begin the videos within seconds. We all need more time right now and four steps will give it to you. Yes, you can multiply yourself and I'll show you how to do it in four steps. Danny, when did you know that this was going to be a message for you, that this was going to be part of your life's work? When did you know that that happened? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. The accident was in 92. And then I took a couple little jobs as I got back into the proverbial real world, settled into the restaurant industry for a little bit, and then went to work in corporate America at a, at a large credit card bank back here. And I always had some thoughts about being a teacher. So I navigated my way into the education department, right? Learning and development workshops and all, because it was a huge organization. And I started to deliver different workshops. And every now and again, I would kind of sprinkle in my story and people were receptive to it and they wanted to know more. And then I was on a flight and this was after I left that company. I was working for another training company and I was on a flight. I'll always remember this. I was coming back from Chicago. It's probably like a Thursday night, nine o'clock at night or whatever. And I'm sitting in the back of the plane. I'm probably 40. And I meet this younger woman, 28, 30. You know, she's just starting a professional career. So, you know, we, we kind of just started chatting and there was good energy there. So sometimes I would tell the people my story. Other times I kind of hold back on it. And I told her about it a little bit and that I was working on a book. Now, when I say working on a book, I use that term loosely because April, I began it about six or eight times and Word documents and different and everything else. And she just looked at me and I never saw her again. We never emailed or anything else. And she just looked at me and she said, you've got to write that book. You have to write that book and tell the story. And it just hit me. I'm like, you know what, damn it, I, I do. It was almost, you know, me giving myself permission to do it. So that's when I kind of started to know that this was part of my message. And then when I went out on my own, I guess five years ago or so, I just kind of weave that in. But again, I really had to watch that that wasn't all Danny Bader was. You know, this guy's going to show up and tell you a story. You know, in my keynotes, it's part of the story, right? But then what are the principles behind that struggle that bring you out of it? And there's a great quote too. It says, cure is uncertain, right? Cure is uncertain. Prevention can be massively effective. So could I have prevented that accident? Maybe, maybe not. And though, how many struggles in our life could we prevent if we're a little bit more aware of, of what we're doing, how we're navigating you know, what's the big picture? A lot of times we bring some of our stuff on our own. I certainly have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? It's that combination of, you know, we don't have to get to the point of cure. Let's navigate some of these potholes first before we just run right through them all. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a little bit of the prevention. Sure. Danny, what would the world look like if they had those same eight minutes? Oh, man, it would be proverbial heaven on earth. If they experience the thing that you experience, like how do they live their lives different? What changes? There would be so much more love and understanding. There would. And more importantly, probably there would be a quest for understanding. So it's not as if everybody comes back, oh yeah, I understand your viewpoint. I understand your viewpoint. You still have, you know, your own beliefs and your own experiences and those things. I just think you would be more open to saying, hey, I get it. We're different. I think differently. Let's work to kind of understand one another better so that it leads to goodness or neutrality, but not pain and anger and resentment and conflict and all those other things. Is it because it would connect us to our humanness, like the common thread that is we're human? I think it connects us to our divine. Ah, okay. Yeah. You know, when you have an experience, like, you know, I've met several people, many people that have had, you know, similar ones, you can't help but to come back 
and always understand that there's that other side again. And that at some point we'll get back to it. As I said, I'm in no hurry to die again. I love my family. You know, I enjoy my life. I enjoy working and meeting wonderful people like you. So I'm in no hurry to die again. And it will happen and it will be okay. Okay. There may be some physical pain in that process. I do know though, when you get to that point where you're transitioning from the physical over to the next chapter, there's no pain there. Nuh-uh. You're going to be happy as shit. And that doesn't even <laughs> halfway capture what I'm talking about. There's no words to describe it. Oh, Danny, I was going to like bring it home. Oh, you can't it, rush it, that though, right? You can't. Some don't rush go, it. No, you can't. Yeah. There are people that are listening right now because I know when I put out your story to some of our listeners, bam, 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 all the questions. And so many of them were about that moment, Danny, because so many of us are terrified of that transition. And you've got firsthand experience of what that was like for you. I mean, you speaking to that is such a gift for the people that are listening when you're going, oh no, it's good. Don't worry. And I've been blessed to speak with several people, more than several probably at the end of their physical existence, you know, some within a day, some maybe further out. And that's the message, you know, and that's a message that's big in our faith, right? Be not afraid, be not afraid. Yeah. So anybody listening, you know, if you are struggling, just know that you got to press on through the struggles. I believe that's the joy of the transition comes from the struggle that we have as humans. We, we can't let life win. You can let it knock you down and all. You know, it sounds cliche, but you just can't stay down. That's not what we're here for. We're intended to, to create a lot of joy and bring a lot of love. And we're intended to move through the difficult times of struggle. I don't have it all figured out either. Yeah. I just know that we can. I look at some people in my life now that are really struggling with some disease, life-threatening terminal illnesses. And and I spend time with them. You know, my brother-in-law, Bobby, is living with ALS. In this book, it's all primarily fiction, but the last chapter is called Bobby. And I said to him, hey, I did a podcast with him. He's just a beautiful man. And my sister too, they're just such courage. And I look at them and, and I'm like, man, could I do that? Would I be able to handle that? Could I show up every day like them? There are days that are rougher than others for all of us. But anybody listening, just it's okay. It's a, that's what I'm saying. It's okay. Take a deep breath. If you're in rock bottom, sometimes we got to get there. But don't let life win from the defeatist. Such a powerful message. It's such a gift that you give both today with us and when you're speaking, when you're talking about this. Danny, what's something that you worried about before, but do you no longer worry about now? Because of this experience, whether it's that like the eight minutes or just how you've processed it afterwards, like what does Danny not worry about anymore? Yeah, I think it's the journey of life and getting old and am I making the right decisions? Do I have success as the world measures it? You know, when I'm younger, you're looking for those things. You know, I get out of school and, you know, bouncing around jobs and you're looking like, okay, you know, I want to do this. I want to make millions of dollars by the time I'm 30, 35, whatever it might be. Money is certainly important in life. It's just not the all. I think mine is the difference is just to, just to be more aware, you know, of where you are, who you're with, what you're experiencing. That's what I say, you know, when I was younger, and of course, you're, I was only 28. So how many, how many of us are still flying through life, just, you know, looking to make as much money as we can and all those things. That's okay. I would just encourage people. Yeah. While you do that, make sure you kind of slow down a little bit as well. Pay attention to how you're pursuing that. Danny, when you look at kind of what lies ahead for you, like what does success look like for Danny? What, when you get to the end of your road, you're like, oh, I did it well. I lived it well. Yeah. You know, I've been toying with something now. You just kind of thoughts, you know, how we are, you and I writers and speakers and everything else. But you know, when I take my last breath, I want to be wearing a smile. That's success for me. 
And I think that's dependent on how did you live your life, right? Even with all the mistakes that you made in the struggle, right? So the smile is going to show up because I can look back and go, yeah, you know what? You did a good job. So what's a good job? Make money? Yeah, part of that. And loving people, forgiving people, supporting people. That's more so. And then the second part of the smile is you trust that where you're headed is good. Wow. That's amazing. I'm just thinking about like you're, you're giving people hope and faith of the afterlife. You're giving people a story of unbelievable resilience, a story of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, which is often the hardest person to forgive. I mean, there's so many things baked into the work that you're doing now. And you also teach frameworks. I mean, you're this amazing speaker. You go around and talk to lots and lots of people about how they apply some of these lessons into their lives. You really have given people a whole new way to see their lives and their death. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Thank you for that, April. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's the key. As speakers, you're always looking, you know, do I speak on leadership? Because that's good, right? Speakers on leadership get booked a lot. Sure. do 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 I speak on building stronger teams? Do I speak on sales, selling more? And, you know, one of the things I really try to focus on is authenticity, particularly these past couple of years, because, you know, as you build your brand, you and I, as authors and speakers and podcasters, you know, it's very easy to kind of always look and say, you know, what is it? that I do. So I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'll speak to your salespeople, but I, my framework is not, here's how you sell more. You know, I'll speak to your teams. My framework is not, here's the, the eight steps to being a more effective team. I believe when I show up, tell my story and connect with people, the influence that lingers can support them in being a better salesperson, a better team member, a better spouse, a better partner, a better dad, a better, you know, because it creates intentionality, right? We're not on autopilot. Yeah, I think. My work's all about that. And people go, what do you do? And I say, well, I like to come in and I like to reach in and take their soul, show it to them for a little while, put it back in and off we go without them knowing it. Oh, you can't tell them that up front because nobody's going to sit in the audience then, right? <laughs> you got to get them in and tell them what they need to hear. They don't always show up for that. Yes, you have to get that permission too. You know, I always joke, you know, when you talk to a big group or whatever, a lot of, you know, I'm an inspirational, motivational speaker, I guess is the tag. You know, but usually you think who it's like a Super Bowl quarterback, you know, it's a Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, entrepreneur that built a company and sold it for a billion dollars, Olympic champion, you know, climbed Everest or whatever. And with all due respect, they're phenomenal accomplishments. I offered people, I said, I didn't do any of them. I just happened to die and come back to life. So you're stuck with me for the next hour. And they're, you know, they're like, okay. All right. Well, those people also might be trying to outrun their mortality. Yeah. Yeah. And you're probably the only one in the room who's had to face it. Well, I guess. And again, all respect to, I mean, sure, look, of course, look at of Navy SEALs and, and folks with disabilities and, and everybody that's put into work to accomplish some great things. It's all good. It, it really all comes back to our story. What is our story? What has been our experience? And then what have we taken from that that I can offer to you? Right. So it's Danny's story for you. So how can you look and go, yeah, he's talking to me right now. Yeah, this is what I need to do in my life. Certainly not telling. You know, as we speak, telling doesn't work. It's just allowing somebody to observe what they want in their life in light of what their behavior and their thinking is. And that's where we try to shift them a little bit. So Danny, I'm thinking about the fact that you've been given this effectively, this amazing second chance. And I'm just thinking about like the practicality of that. Is that a ton of pressure? Like if you just want to like chill out one day and just watch Netflix all day, and like, do you have a hard time? being less productive because you're like, I was given the second chance. I have to make the most of my time. Was that once a struggle? 
That's great. I, you know, I did struggle with it. Like what really is my purpose? Type A, you know, hardcore is really not how I'm wired. Okay. So it's pretty easy for me to, to kind of chill out sometimes to my detriment, right? I'm not doing enough. Yeah. It's just that, you know, I love speaking. I love showing up, you know, for audiences and, and certainly COVID has put a, a bit of a funk in that. And, you know, the second year of COVID, we're, we're almost coming up. I'll probably do a, a little quick video next week because when COVID hit March 9th, I was at the Ritz Carlton in Aruba and my wife called and said, you better get home. You know, I was down there doing, doing some work. I do a lot of work with Marriott Ritz Carlton and the wonderful ladies and gentlemen there. And I'll probably just do a quick little video that says, you know, from the Ritz Carlton to COVID, you know, less than the past two years or something. So I know that there's a lot of people that are listening right now that would love to see you speak, either go to see you speak or book you to speak. We're going to put links in the show notes, but what's the best way for them to connect with you about that, Danny? Mm-hmm. The best way to connect to is probably just through the website. They can contact through there and it hits my email, you know, danny at dannybader.com. And yeah, we could talk about that. I don't do any public workshops. I've told you the idea. I do mostly corporate work and I'm very, very happy that that's coming back now. You know, the events and those kinds of things, as you know, as well. Yeah, I'd be happy to hear from anybody. And then, you know, I've got the other places we go, you know, where you can find out a little bit more. Because Danny and I just finally went to our first live event in Nashville two weeks ago. We were so glad to be back in person. Oh, it was great. It was so good. And it's so good to be in a room full of those kinds of people. Like it's just these global change makers. Like a lot of times you find that there are people that want to make massive changes, but maybe the execution isn't quite there. Or people that are working really, really hard, but they're just not getting the results. And to be in a room full of people that are doing both beautifully, it's just, there's so much power in that. And they're all very, you know, mission-driven, contribution-focused, just a great group of people, which is- They really are. Where Danny and I were like, we need to have a conversation on Pivot Me about this. I know. I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad. So yeah, it's great. I've got a couple follow-up questions, Danny. One is that, so I imagine when you have this experience, you felt very, very connected to, connected to your creator, to God, to the divine source, like whatever language you want to give to it. I mean, I imagine that was an incredibly strong connection in the moment. How do you find your way back there now? Daily prayer, journaling, Sunday mass, nature. As you said, there, there's nothing better for me than we, we go down to a little place in New Jersey called Cape May. And we're about a block from the Delaware Bay, which is like 16 or 18 miles across. So if I can get my paddleboard and be down there at like 6.30 or 7 in the morning when it's slick calm, and maybe I'll paddle with a couple of dolphins out there. Yeah. Angels all around. I mean, it's good. It's good. Feels that. Now, I was just thinking about when we were in Nashville, you made a comment about that you could still feel your buddy nearby. Mm. If memory serves me, it was just in passing, but you made a comment about that you saw the kind of beer that he likes to drink, like you saw a logo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forget who we were talking with. And I shared that story because I'm walking from my hotel in Nashville. I wasn't staying where we had the the event. I'm a Marriott guy, so I have to stay at my Marriott. (laughs) You got to stay at the Marriott. Support the brand, right? All my Marriott friends in Ritz-Carlton. So I'm walking up the alley. And I have, you know, we're back now and, you know, I'm excited to see people, but you always have some anxiety because you're going to a workshop, you're going to work on your own brand, you're going to be meeting people, you know, so, you know, for me, there's always a little bit of anxiety and uncertainty. As I said, you know, coming out of a a little rougher year because of all the COVID and I'm walking up the alley and I kind of cut through like, you know, Nashville's got so many bars and honky tonks and all. And I look and there's this huge beer truck and on the side is Miller. Now, most beer trucks have Miller Lite, 
This one had Miller, the old Miller High Life, the champagne of beers. And that's what my buddy Bruce drank. So it was just, I stood there in the parking lot and I just took a deep breath and I felt his spirit. It's almost as if he said, hey, listen, relax, man. It's just life. You're doing good. I'm good. It's okay. You know, as I said, I struggled with alcohol for many years and thankfully pretty good shape now. You know, that, that Miller High Life beer was very, very popular champagne of beers, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And you don't see it a whole lot now. So it's always cool, too, if I ever go in, you know, and I see bottles of beer up on the bar and I see one there. I'm like, all right, yeah, give me, get, let me have a Miller. Going to have one of those. Oh, that's amazing. That's good. Ah, I love that. I remember when you said that in Nashville and it really struck me and I thought, oh, that's awesome to think that he is kind of connecting with him in all these little ways or maybe communicating with him. I was, you know, to that point too, I'll just offer to people for a couple of reasons. When you lose somebody, that's tremendous pain. And there's a fine line between here and there. I know it because I went over and then I came back. So when you lose that person in that struggle and in that pain and in that hurt, just make sure that you're open to them, letting you know that they're okay. Because that's where you move. I have a whole chapter on here from hurt to healing, right? That's the key. You want to move from hurt because when you're in hurt, a lot of times there's no momentum. There's no healing. When you're in healing, the hurt is still there and you're moving forward with that hurt, you know, versus just, I can't get out of it, you know? So do you feel like a lot of that hurt comes from just the feeling of they're gone, that's it? Oh, yeah. Period. Versus if you feel like they're still there to some degree, it diminishes that hurt a little bit? Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen like, you know, a bowl of chicken noodle soup or something. It's just I always encourage people. You validate their hurt for sure. There's nothing worse than losing people that we love. This chapter happens to be about family losing a son. And, you know, losing children is even worse you know, than losing our grandparents or something of that nature. So yeah, I would just encourage them to sit. I did a, a video not too long ago, three reasons to go to a cemetery. And it's just a short little video. And it was when I go to visit my sister and brother-in-law, my two buddies, Stu and Bruce, who were with me that day, the accident, their cemetery is about a mile up the road. So, you know, if the weather's nice, I'll run up. I go sit with them, both of them. I talk, tell them my problems, ask for their help and guidance. And, you know, I run back. If the weather's not great, I just drive through. And I feel them every time. I feel them. So if someone's listening right now and maybe they have lost someone and they feel like they're just gone, how do we connect with them? Is it going to the gravesite? Is it just simply talking to them? Like, how would you recommend they connect? Yeah, both of those. Just think about, you know, it's songs, it's experiences, it's going back to places where you spent happy times together. It could be any of those and maybe none. Don't give up. Just put yourself, and again, silence is great because that's that's where spirit is. So if you believe that, okay, I'm, I'm going to connect with their spirit, their energy, their source, and that shows up a lot of times in silence. And then just when you are looking to connect with it, what you've done now is you program that reticular activating system in our human brain that says, now I'm scanning the environment for whatever I put in, now I'm looking for it, right? And then you're going to look and you're going to see those things. And then they'll just settle with them. And if tears come, pull over and cry. It's part of the whole process, you know? Danny, what you're saying is so important because as I'm thinking this through, I think we do the exact opposite when we lose someone. So we don't want to go back to the restaurant that we met them at. We drive a different way. So we're not looking at the park that we used to go to. We do things to avoid reminding us of them. So I think we're actually doing the opposite of what you're saying. And I think this is so important if you're listening to go, 
maybe the, the idea is go sit at that park that you guys used to go to or drive by the restaurant that you met at or whatever that looks like. I remember after my grandma had passed, I always, for some reason, whenever I saw a Robin, I thought of her. And then I started seeing them, of course, everywhere. I live near the Sierra Nevadas. There's a lot of them. And so I remember I was at university at the time. And so I'd be walking to camp or walking to class, walking through campus. And every time I saw them, and I remember thinking, I don't want that to cause pain. I want to feel connected to her when I see that. And it kind of got me over that hump of feeling like she was still there. We were close. This is, I was probably 18, 19 at the time. But I think our natural tendency is to do the exact opposite because we're running away from, well, this is going to hurt. This is going to bring up all the emotions. And and we're afraid we're going to get, what is Brene Brown called it? Emotionally high centered. Like if we open up the floodgates, like we're never going to be able to close them. And you're saying that we actually need to do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Brene does great with that. She talks wonderfully about that. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe that's part of it. When I fought going to my buddy's grave, just because I didn't, I didn't want to deal with it. And when I did, like I said, man, I just dropped to my knees and sobbed. And, you know, my mom went down with me and just held me like a little baby. And I was, you know, here I was almost 29 years of age. And that was part of the healing. And then go, when my feet got better, I went back and worked, you know, roofing again, because here's these guys, they had a, a nice company going. And now suddenly, Two of us were gone, right? One literally and me, like, and I came back and everybody's going, don't, you can't go back. You can't go back. That was part of the healing. Watching TV shows when somebody was being resuscitated. You know, I don't remember how many times I'd walk out of a room or, you know, and that's all that post-traumatic. It's just, you know, seeing more of that. That helped you heal? Like seeing a TV show where someone was being resuscitated, that actually helped you heal? Yeah, I think because I came more to grips with what happened that day, you know, with my buddy. If I just ignored all of that, you know, as you said, you really are not processing it. And that takes time. I think what's really key though, is you have to, if you want, I believe you've got to have that belief that this person is here in human form for as long as we have them. And there's an energy inside of them that's very much connected to the human form that goes back to its source. And that is still available to us. So while we miss the hell out of them in their human form, right? We miss them so, so much. I get that. And just let me kind of feel them a little bit and it's available for sure. Danny, you know, when we were talking, we were talking about you giving people like an intentionality, making them aware of, you know, you talked about changing your story and how to handle this. It's so much more than intentionality, Danny, like you're giving people healing. I mean, that's, it's amazing. I mean, you're literally healing people as you're telling people both how to heal themselves and giving them the courage to do the work. That's profound work, Danny. Yeah. Thank you. And, and again, you're just offering it to them, right? Just to say, Hey, here's some things that I know to be true. Just make sure you're experimenting with them. That's the key. And that's the work, right? Let me just kind of experiment with this in the book. When Jill loses her son, and Sammy is one of the characters. Sammy's the main character. She's from the first book and then goes in and she comes in and Jill wants nothing to do with Sammy. Her husband brought her in and said, okay, this woman can help us get through this. She's brutal, man. She's just a real bitch. And the transition towards the end is, I don't give too much away, but Jill gives Sammy a necklace that her son gave to her. Sammy says, I can't possibly take this or whatever. And, you know, it's a reminder of him. And Jill said, I don't need it anymore. He's with me. I got it. You know, so she had that character arc, right? Where when you first met her, she was totally shut down. You know, she was in hurt and she realized that I got to get out of hurt into healing. 
and healing is moving forward. Hurt's still there. Hurt's still there, but you're moving. You know, you're moving forward. You're honoring them. I saw a quote, I think it's in that chapter there. I forget who said it. The best admiration that we can give to someone who has passed is not to miss them, but gratitude for that we knew them, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. And I paraphrase, it's a powerful quote though. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, it's interesting because I know that I've lost several people and for a while there, I noticed that I would push away from anything. So I give the example of my grandma and then after her, there was a series of losses and I kind of filed them away because I thought it was too much. And so I didn't want to go and see things that reminded me of them or I was very close with my grandfather, my opa, and I had all these messages saved from him. So he'd call and leave me messages for all sorts of things. Hey, bro, I was thinking about this thing the other day. And he's very intellectual man and would just sort of speculate on things. And he would do that on my voicemails and I had them saved and I had them saved for years. And when I would go to check my voicemail, I would immediately hit like seven, seven, seven. So I'd skip past all of his messages to get to the new voice messages. Cause I didn't want to listen to them because they hurt. And it's interesting. Cause I think, Oh, what a shame. Like instead of seeing the messages as a way to connect with him. Instead, I connected that it was, it was pain. Like I heard them and I would miss him, but it's just a reframing of like, no, stop and listen to those voice memos. I've got them from my Oma and my Opa saved on my phone. And I know exactly how many there are. So I know how many times to hit seven every time I dial into my voicemail. I love it. You're inspiring me, Danny, to actually sit down and listen to those instead of kind of running from them because they might be painful to hear. Instead, I got to reframe how I see that. I would do that in the next day or two. Yeah. Danny, this has been amazing. So you talked about your website. You run a podcast. You've got stuff up on YouTube. If people need a lot more of Danny, is your URL the best place to connect? Yeah, probably go there to the website, dannybader.com. And then, you know, a lot of content on Facebook and YouTube. And then, you know, some of it I pull over into LinkedIn. You know, I try to keep LinkedIn a little bit more businessy, but sure, it's okay. People on LinkedIn too need a little bit of spirit from time to time. <laughs> they certainly do. Danny, this was amazing. Thank you so much for your insight, your expertise. I appreciate your time with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure, April. Thanks so much. I am uh, thankful that our paths have crossed and I look forward to them staying crossed. How was that? You doing all right? You still with me? Doing okay? Do you see why I needed to go for a walk after that conversation? I couldn't immediately go into a meeting after hearing that. After you interview a man that had died, communicated to God, and then came back to talk about it, about the preciousness of life and how easy it is to find joy if we look for it. I so appreciate Danny's vulnerability, like the friendliness in which he shares his story and the lessons and how he said, hey, I didn't get it all together after this happened. I completely fell apart. I turned to all these different things because I couldn't process both what had happened and the loss of his friend, that he had a hard time moving on, forgiving himself, even though what happened was simply a tragic accident. There wasn't blame to be had. Things go wrong, but he couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't understand why him and not Bruce. But man, when he tells about that conversation with Bruce's daughter years later, whoo, you know, he was kind of granted the ultimate permission to move on by perhaps the person most affected by this tragedy, his friend's child. I mean, that's deep. But one thing I want to come back to, you know, when I'm thinking back on this conversation, ultimately he didn't want the accident to define him. 
In his own words, I held on too long to the accident. I needed to be more than just the person who this happened to. And it got me thinking about how many of us do that. We hold on to maybe a tragedy. Maybe it's just a mistake, a wrongdoing. Maybe somebody screwed us over. Maybe we screwed somebody else over and we let it define us. We stop moving, stop growing in that area because of this thing that occurred. And when I think about Danny's story, it's really one of healing himself and now others. Through his books, his speaking, I think Danny just might be a gift to us all. Maybe from the other side. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.